This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. And welcome back to another episode of Beyond the To-Do List. I'm your host, Eric Fisher, and this is the show where I talk to the people behind the productivity. This week, I'm excited to share with you a conversation I had with Kasia Wazowski. She is an expert in body language and emotional intelligence. She's the co-founder of the Center for Body Language, where she coaches leaders and CEOs on effective communication and understanding nonverbal cues. She's also the author of the new book, Language That Leads, Communication Strategies That Inspire and Engage. And in this conversation, we're going to dive into the significance of trust in the workplace, how trusting employees to manage their time leads to improved results, the significance of effective communication, the impact of body language on relationships, and the power of authenticity in leadership. And under all that, we're going to talk about reading emotional signs, like micro expressions to better understand and connect with others. So whether you're a leader looking to enhance your communication skills or an employee seeking to create a more supportive work environment, Kasha is going to share her expertise on building trust, understanding body language, and honestly just unleashing the true potential of effective leadership. Before we get to that, I want to remind you to drop your email in to get my weekly newsletter over at beyondthetodolist.com. Signing up will get you a recap of the latest episodes, plus links to related episodes you might have missed, exclusive content, and my top three weekly finds to supercharge your productivity. It's the perfect companion to this podcast and a great way to stay connected. You can always hit reply to that email, give me feedback, or continue the conversation. Sign up today and make sure you don't miss out. Again, go to beyondthetodolist.com and drop in your email. Well, this week, it is my privilege to welcome to the show Kasia Wazowski. Kasia, welcome to Beyond the To-Do List. Thank you. I'm happy to be here with you. Very happy to have you here. You've got a brand new book out called Language That Leads, Communication Strategies That Inspire and Engage. And one of the things that first drew me to this book and the concepts in it is not just the leadership part of things, but I was a communications major in college. And one of the things that I loved was communication takes many forms and nonverbal is one of those huge ones that I think, especially in remote work, a lot of people started to struggle with because you had to pay so much more attention to the video to read those cues. I'm curious how you got into your fascination like mine, but also expertise like yours in this field? It started, I would say, with my complicated family (laughs) because I just couldn't understand my family because they are so, I would say, so opposite personalities in my family that I wanted to find the key, how to communicate better, how you can overcome those conflicts and how you can create the communication on a much deeper level. So I studied uh, psychology and uh, social anthropology 
I also have a degree in law. So I did all three things. I have three master degrees actually. And then I met my current husband and he was already doing training in body language and we combine our skills, emotional psychology, intelligence and, and all those skills we combine and we created our own methods. And uh, we start uh, training other people and also coaching uh, leaders, CEOs to help them to understand better how to communicate with others and also how to read their emotional signs, especially microexpressions. The microexpressions are the tiny facial movements that you do with your face all the time when you are listening to somebody, when you are talking. And when you know how to understand those keys, you can communicate much better. Very cool. And now that you've said that, of course, as we're watching video here, as we're talking, I'm like, oh, no, what am I conveying? Am I fully paying attention? Does she think that I'm listening? I mean, I am, obviously, but it's like that extra level of awareness. And I think a lot of people get stuck in their heads when they start to talk about and think about the impact. It's almost like if the verbal component of communication is kind of the air quotes, regular part of it. It's all this nonverbal that can then start to distort or change. Like, well, they're saying with their words one thing, and their tone is normal there with their voice, but the way that their face is when they say it makes me think they're lying through their teeth. Yes, and it's not only about lying. It's about our social expectations that we put on other people because we require to behave in a certain way. But on the emotional level, we show what we truly think and what we truly feel. And this is something that we just cannot switch off. So, for example, once I work with a, a CEO of one of uh, Belgian companies, he came to us and he had to do a big presentation in front of 200 most important people in his company and to convince them about a new strategy. And it was quite challenging because it was really important for him to really motivate people. And when I work with him, what I realize is that he was showing a lot of contempt. How you show contempt with your face? You show it when one of your lip corners is going up. And the contempt means that you feel superior and is a kind of distancing from other people. So this person, by showing contempt, was distancing himself from his colleagues. And because of that, they couldn't trust him. They didn't uh, feel listened by him. And when we work, why he was showing so much contempt, actually, it was because he was afraid <laughs> of other people. And by keeping a distance, it was helping him not to be judge or held by other people. So when we worked on his own fears, he overcame his contempt and he was ready to be more open and more authentic during his presentation and win the audience. Interesting. And so he wasn't trying to convey contempt, at least outwardly. He was trying to have some sort of a defense barrier for himself, for his fear, and inadvertently was coming across as not to be trusted. Exactly. He didn't know that he was showing contempt. That's why it's good to work with somebody else who can spot those little tiny movements on your face and show you what's going on. Or at least that you record yourself on camera and you can play to yourself to see 
what are the signs of disconnect that you show with your face? Well, in the book, Language That Leads, Communication Strategies That Inspire and Engage, I mean, that's exactly what you're talking about is, and again, it's not just all about nonverbal. It's about communication as a whole, nonverbal being part of it. But obviously, you and your husband started your Center for Body Language. I'm curious, what was the instigation? I mean, you talked a little bit about this in your story at the very beginning, but why did you find you needed to create that Center for Body Language? This Center was created especially for people who would like to communicate better with other people on the business level and people who are working in the teams, for example, in sales, in management, in leadership, they have a special set of rules how to behave, what to do, what not to do. And it can be very artificial. And if the atmosphere in the company is artificial, the motivation to do the work is very low. And there was a research done, I think, around 10 years ago in major companies that said the usual motivation of an employee is around 30%. So if we could help other people with the communication skills and creating more understanding by reading emotional sides of other people, then we could enhance this motivation level in, in companies. And also, I would say that we spend so much time working that it's nice to feel more connected with other people. So that's why we wanted to create this uh, center for body language to help other people to be more connected, collaborate more, achieve more success with their work in their companies and also more, I would say, pleasure and joy by being with other people. So it's good for, well, it's, everyone's a leader. It depends on, you know, how high up and how much influence they have. They all have influence, whether they're leading themselves or they do find themselves as part of a team and lead the team from time to time or, or all the time, depending upon their role. We all have that and we all have that not just desire, but need to communicate again, not just to be known and know others, but to really get our point across, to really move the needle when it comes to the projects that we're working on. We've had a number of different conversations on this show recently where the breakdown of communication has been a huge factor in loss of productivity. So I'm right there with you. In the book, you're talking about essentially the body language of leadership. Let's talk about what all the different things are that kind of combine to make that language of leadership. We've talked about facial expressions. I'm moving my hands. I, that's what I do. That's a gesture. There's posture, which I made sure to sit up higher in my chair to be more alert and attentive. But there's much more to it. What all do you see as composing body language when it comes to the body language of leadership? Recently, we made a movie, a documentary movie about life of Marshall Goldsmith, who is one of the most, I would say, meaningful coaching leaders for the CEOs. And I loved working with Marshall Goldsmith because he is a role model of the bad language that leads because this coming from his mindset, you cannot have body language of a leader if you don't have the right mindset. And that's why when you want to change your body language, you need to always come back to your emotions and make sure that you have yourself the skills of the leader. 
in my book, I'm talking about those, those skills and I'm connecting them to a certain body language as well. So, for example, empathy, engagement, transparency, courage, discipline, integrity. Those are also the skills that I have seen with Marsha Goldsmith and with many other leaders that he coached. Those who are the best leaders, they are also very humble. I was thinking before that, you know, usually aspiring readers, they try to become bigger, bigger ego, bigger space. But this is not about that. Actually, to become one of the greatest leaders is good to resemble humility and at the same time, be empathetic, be transparent, be able to adapt, be a good listener. Those are the skills. Because the leader of our times is not the leader like it was 50 years ago, you know, the big boss. The leader of our time is a person who is incredibly good in connecting with others by listening, inspiring others, and also by having a special kind of integrity and by allowing other people to have their own space and have their own opinion. And I'm also talking in my book about it, that leadership is like a kasuri fabric. This is a special textile from Japan that is perfect because it's not perfect. Because the kasuri fabric is a special fabric that is always a little bit blurred. The one royal family in Okinawa wanted to print the fabric and make it like completely straight and really perfect. But without this blurred effect, the fabric lost the beauty. And it's the same with leadership. The leader deals with other people. Nobody is perfect. The leader is not perfect. Other people are not perfect. So when we have integrity and the transparency, we can, I would say, be more ourselves and create understanding with others by communicating. The communication is never about being perfect or being, you know, like a good example of something, embodying your presence. You cannot embody your presence. You can be yourself. By being as much as possible yourself, you become the best leader. And then the bad language is showing that. So the most important skill as a leader is to be comfortable with yourself. The way you sit, you should feel comfortable. You can resemble a cat who is in the state of rest. If you can sit like a cat or lion, then you are a king in your kingdom. So this is what your bad language shows. If you feel an anxiety, if you feel any fear, if you feel shame, if you are overwhelmed, if you are angry, your bad language will show it. So the mindset, this is something that you need to start to come back to yourself, to understand who you are, to know what you want and what you don't want, and then this helps you to become the best communicator. Okay, so if I'm hearing you right, I think that you're saying that it used to be seen that leadership was somebody who was in authority or an authoritarian, and they made decisions, and that was about the extent of it. But you're saying that a leader's power and obligation really lies in connecting and relationships and being fully themselves, flaws and all. Is that right? Yes. And also what I saw with the leaders, like, for example, Alan Mulali, the former CEO of Ford, he is leading by 
connecting other people with skills. So the leader doesn't need to have all the skills in the company. He's the person who is connecting, who's enabling the communication, who is helping people to share the correct information to make the right decisions. And what is important here, I also noticed that right now, when we have employees that come to work for a company, they come with their own wisdoms. They come with their own knowledge. They might be 10, 20 years younger than the, the main person. And because of that, they come with new skills. And when, as a leader, we are able, we allow those people to share their opinions, we are able to listen to them, then actually this is better for communication and it's better for creating new ideas. It helps the motivation. So when you, as a leader, can also read the body language of people and their emotions and understand what they feel, what they think, and when they want to express themselves and you allow it, the team will flourish. Now, I think that for a lot of people, they're thinking, okay, I think I get it. I am a leader and I know that I'm not just about making decisions. It's about relationships, but that's a hard shift for a lot of people. One, to hear, but two, to even begin to start to make that change when I'm sure there's a lot of people that come to you that need help with this. What are your first kind of steps in assessing what work do they need to work with you on, but also work on themselves on? The first thing is to be able to have an open body language, to make sure that you can have open hands, open gestures, that you smile time to time so that you are not so rigid, you know, with uh, frowning eyebrows and close posture, that you are allowing other people to share ideas, to be open, to be invited to be part of the discussion. because. In this way, you help other people to do their job by being productive instead of putting them down by your own personality and your ideas. In fact, actually, we need employees to do their job and to be as much creative and productive as they can. But many times leaders, they don't allow this productivity by their own body language because they are showing superiority. They have closed body language. They're not allowing other people to speak, to interrupt them. And in this way, they don't learn from their employees, don't use the potential of those people. Now, I know you talk about a good leader being somewhat like a conductor of an orchestra. What do you mean by that? I mean that the leader is the person who is uh, joining the dots, joining different uh, skills and geniuses from the employees because the leader is not the one that have those skills because the employees, they are hired because they are experts in their fields. So if you have like, for example, a team of 10 people, they have their own expertise and they are really good at that. And you as a leader, you are the one who is enabling the team to work together. 
Still searching for a great candidate for your company? Don't search. Just match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch that busy work. Instead, use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. I wish I had Indeed when I was in the hiring process in roles in the past because it is a slow, arduous headache of a process to find the right people. Or, at least it used to be, join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to find and hire great talent fast. In fact, in the minute I've been talking to you, 23 hires were made on Indeed, according to Indeed data worldwide. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash to-do list. Just go to Indeed.com slash to-do list right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash to-do list. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I really appreciate that you're calling out that leaders don't necessarily have to be the ones with the skills in whatever the work is that's being done by that team or group or collective of people. Their skill, again, isn't to make the decision so much as to create an environment for the relationships to happen, as well as the connections of the relationships to happen. And then maybe even see it from a, a macro level in a way. It's sometimes maybe a vision thing and seeing where those connections are and how to strengthen them, not just specific ones, but all of them so that everything runs smoothly. Yes. And also, it's always, for me at least, it's a good area of testing my ideas is on my children. <laughs> because... <laughs> In children's nature is to, I would say, be spontaneous and authentic and they don't pretend to be somebody else. At the same time, it can be a difficult environment to test your ideas because they not always listen to you. So I would say that when I implement a more democratic approach towards my children and allow them to share their ideas and allow them to do things the way they want to do them. And I create a frame for their abilities instead of pushing them to do things. They are more productive, more creative. And at the same time, they are more, I would say, calm and relaxed. And the same can be applied to work environments. When you allow people to do things their own way, and create a good frame of reference for them and create a good environment so they can try 
the way is the best for them, then your team can really achieve miracles. This is like another example would be plants. If you have plants in your house, except cactus, baby, because cactus, they don't need a lot of work. But other plants, they need watery and you need to know where to put them, what kind of temperature they need. Do they like sun or shadow, humidity and so on? So if you know about the plants and how to position them, then your plants flourish. Your employees also flourish if you create a good understanding. So again, we're coming back to body language, uh, being able to understand people on the verbal level and also on the nonverbal level. If you see that your employees are relaxed, uh, happy, satisfied with the work, and you feel that they are engaged, they are motivated, then you know that they are thriving. They are doing their best. On the other hand, if your employees are tired and annoyed, angry, anxious, exhausted, or maybe they show contempt or they show frustration or sadness, it means that something is going on. If you are able to read those signs by looking at their body language, looking at their micro expressions, and then ask the right questions, then you can solve the situation and create the best environment for your employees so they can thrive. Now, I'm glad that you brought up parenting because none of us parents are perfect. But I think that when it comes to leadership, a lot of leaders think they have to be perfect. And and even in the book, you talk about how perfection isn't the goal here. So in other words, what does the goal need to be? If we're not trying to be perfect, what is the real goal of leadership here? The real goal of leadership is to inspire others to do their best, not because they must, but because they want. And usually we thrive if we can be ourselves when we are accepted as who we are. So if the employees are pretending that they are somebody or they do something in a certain way, but they really don't, they are really afraid that this would come out. Or if the leader is afraid that uh, other people would judge him not being enough competent, then there are some hidden secrets to manage in the company and there's not enough energy for growing and collaborating. So instead of that, I would advise leaders to just be who they are from the beginning. We usually create friendships with people who are more open, who have their different traits of character. And when we know those traits from the beginning, we just accept them as who they are. So if we as leaders, we are who we are, some leaders are more extroverts, some are more introverts, some are more, I would say, they love to dirty jokes. Some leaders, they, they like, you know, to stay calm, listen to the classical music in the corner. And this is fine as far as you are not trying to pretend to be something else. If you are not pretending yourself and if you allow other people to know you as who you are, then they also take off their mask and they become more themselves and they are ready to, instead of focus on hiding something or pretending something, they can focus on the work. So this, I would say it's more energy effective as well, because you are in the flow, you are doing what is your skill and that's it. Now, I know that as difficult as that may be to strive for and even see progress in, recently because of the pandemic but you know even before that remote work was kind of 
becoming more and more of a, you know, a concern, I think, to many leaders or let's call them managers because they were just managing people. They weren't thinking about leading. They were just managing. There's been this kind of, hey, let's get people back into the office kind of wave and push to a certain extent. How do we reconcile being a good leader with good communication skills, especially the ones that you're talking about, with remote work and the technology that has benefits but also downsides? The main thing is about trust. If you trust people that they can manage their time well and allow them to do it in their own way and discuss it with them. So instead of keeping, I would say, the employees, instead of keeping secrets about some details about their life, like, for example, maybe somebody has a, a small child or somebody doesn't like to work in early morning or in the you know late evening, they have kind of whatever, some kind of difficulties, but they try, for example, working around special hours. Like could be somebody loves to work at 3 a.m. for some reasons. So as a leader, you know, those special, I would say, traits of your employees that help them to thrive in their environment and you allow them to manage the time the way they feel is the best for them, they will deliver better work results. So I would say that it's better to trust people and let them create their own environment for themselves than to manage them in such a way that they have to work in sometimes hostile environments and not be able to do the things that are helping them to, to thrive. So this is something that it's better in the long term. That's why I like the metaphor of comparing leadership with raising children, because this is the same thing. When you allow your child to to have their own space and uh, listen to the music that they love, uh, wear the clothes that they love, and study in the way that is good for them, they learn better, they are more engaged, they are more inspired, they are more creative. Same with employees. They allow them to work in such a way that is creative for them. They thrive. Yeah, that is what I found too with my kids is often it's about well, one, it's about giving them relationship, not just, again, I'm not just, enjoy- I mean, we're not saying, hey, one of the things that often is said by parents is, I'm not your friend, I'm your father, or I'm your mother, or whatever it is, that you know, whatever the role is, so I am still in charge of you. In that sense, we do need to still hold on a little bit to the authority side of things, just for the sake of somebody's got to be in charge, but we then downplay the relational aspect of it and the give and take and the building in. And even even like you were talking about with plants, figuring out how much sun and what kind of environment they thrive in and how much watering they need and and all of that, or, or whether my kid's a cactus, I don't know. But it's about having that individualized relationship with each and every one of them and being able to do that. And again, I think that sometimes... If we have that relationship intact, then the technology does not matter as much. We're kind of finding this out when it comes to our daughter, who is now at college for the first time. And I feel like I'm getting more texts from her now than I did when she lived in the house. And so that's a technology that's actually leaning in and, and really helping us with communication with her. And and we even throw out nonverbal, I wouldn't call it nonverbal necessarily, but like memes or GIFs that show off different, you know, funny things or, oh, I get what you're saying. 
I'm conveying an emotion or a connection to you with this funny meme or something along those lines. So I'm not suggesting all leadership should now start using GIFs and memes in all their communication. But you know what? We could use a lot more of that, couldn't we? We could. And also, I would say that when we allow people to have their own trinkets on the desk and they, their own environment, their own room, their own music, they feel better and they can also transfer part of their own personality into their work. And there are many things that can happen that you don't know about them. And it's very positive to, to bring this energy. I worked uh, recently with one American company that they were managing. Um, they were managers from all over the world. They work in different environments and they had the headquarters in the U.S. And mostly they work online. And it was interesting also to, to share and also to hear from them that it's not that everybody likes to communicate in the same way. There were some people that were more, I would say, formal and they didn't need to socialize so much, but they wanted to know all the details, how to do their job. So they were more, for example, open for those meetings with informations and instructions and they needed those details. Other people, they would uh, skip those formal meetings because it was boring for them, but they would come for socializing and joking and, you know, all the, the funny stuff. And this is also important that you allow people to communicate with you the way it's the best for them. And also it might be good sometimes to create like what I suggested, that they have a meeting that's uh, first half an hour is more a formal one. And then the second half an hour is for socializing. So those who are more into socializing could skip part of the formal one and get the, the PDF afterwards. And those who like formal stuff, they, they can, they can say bye before others and continue with their work. So it's also fine. You know, so the flexibility is also important. And when you have the trust and you know that they deliver the work because this is what they agreed to do, it's up to them how they do it. So speaking of technology and relationships and or humanity, I know that you have some thoughts on AI and how that relates. I mean, everybody's talking about AI these days. I'm of the mind, and I'm curious what your opinion is here. I'm of the mind that there is still, one, there's variability on how intelligent the AI actually is. I've actually been taking up a couple of lessons on that and, and learning more about that. It's more the appearance of intelligence than it is actual intelligence. But then two, AI is never going to replace humans, especially when it comes to these soft skills. Yes, I agree. AI cannot replace the sense of humor. That's for sure. <laughs> it's, it's not possible. I haven't heard a really good job from AIs. We need to do it as humans because we know the context and we, we know the background. And we are here to share the stories. We are here to share emotions and bring the guts and the intuition to the communication and also to the context of business. In business, we also need uh, intuition. We need to understand the environment, socioeconomic environment on the emotional level. AI cannot do it. They work, I would say, using special kind of, you know, like rationalized mathematical algorithms that are good with planning to land a, a plane but not always good to manage other people. Yeah, yeah. Well, and the thing is, is that even humans have a hard time. Again, we were talking about micro expressions and nonverbal cues and all of that. And even as humans, we have trouble figuring out what someone else is communicating to us with all the data that is there in 
each exchange and for AI with its language learning models to be looking at purely text and text alone does not mean that it's going to be able to decipher a lot of the deep soulful meaning that is inherent in, you know, right. Like an AI could be fed a whole bunch of poetry, for example, and yet understand none of the meaning behind it, but mimic it and try to. And then we on the other end of it can then read what it wrote and we can draw our own conclusions as to what we think it meant and attribute some intelligence there. But it's hollow. At least that is my take as of this moment. So there you go. Yes. And coming back to my book, the metaphor that I used at the beginning about the Kasuri fabric, the Japanese textile that they were using for uh, kimonos and clothing. This fabric has to be blurred because it's painted by a hand. If they tried to print the fabric with a computer, it was perfect, but it wasn't beautiful anymore. You could notice the difference. The handmade items, they are imperfect. And this is the beauty of it. That's why AI cannot create the same beautiful pieces of art because they lack imperfection. AI has no skill of being imperfect. This is the problem. And by being imperfect, you can have those nuances of imperfection that makes it perfect. So the line is always better when it's a little bit slout because this creates art. You wouldn't hang an AI painting in your house, probably. You would prefer a handmade painting. Yeah. We, for all our flaws as humans, and that can be a very good thing, as I think you're saying, even in that struggle to interpret, to communicate, and know each other's true feelings, you have something called the two-minute blink technique. I want to bring that up and see how does your blink technique work to interpret someone else's true feelings, or your own, I guess, for that matter. Yes. So we discovered that people are lying more when they are talking, but it's very difficult to lie when you are listening to somebody. And the bleak technique comes into picture when you are creating statements and looking at other people's faces. So, for example, if I would like to know what kind of food do you like, instead of asking you an open question, and you could lie to me because, for example, you want to please me or to say something that would impress me, I can guess the true food that you like. So, for example, if I would say that you are probably a person that loves to eat a lot of vegetables on your plate and thrive on yogurt, or maybe you prefer to eat hamburger and french fries and potatoes, or you love curry and Thai food and exotic cuisine, then I know already what kind of food do you like. You cannot hide because I was looking at your face. (laughs) (laughs) So which is it? (laughs) Definitely, you don't uh, thrive on yogurt alone. That's for sure. No, yeah, definitely not. Not by itself. Not these days. (laughs) Yes. And the exotic uh, food and Thai curry, I would say that there was a very interesting micro expression and it wasn't happiness. I think that maybe, did you have some, negative memories with some exotic food? I think it's a hit or miss sometimes with that, but it's some of the most enjoyable food I have ever had, but it's also sometimes maybe not the the wisest choice. (laughs) Yes, because this is what I saw on your face was a little bit of sadness uh, somewhere. Yes. And the middle one, actually, it was the most, uh, Mm -hmm. I would say, something that you would thrive on. So the hamburger, the french fries are the best. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, that's the, I mean, honestly, as, as not as healthy as that should be, that is the prominent one there. So that worked. Well done. That's why it's good to use the blink technique, because sometimes the person for, for different reasons, they, they don't want to share the truth because it's more convenient to lie a little bit. It's like a white lie, you know, sometimes because you want to impress others. You want to show that you are a better person or whatever. At the same time, it's always better, you know, to be able to be more authentic. That's why using the blink technique helps to get to the true emotions, to the true desires, to the true opinions and start a real conversation, real conversations with people that creates a long-term relationship. So speaking of that, I think that this book is definitely a conversation starter for people individually, but then also collectively in their organizations. And so I'd love for you to point us to where people can find out more and dive in. I mean, we barely scratched the surface of the book here. There's so much to talk about in this book. Where can people find out more about the book, but also grab a copy? People can go to Amazon.com and just uh, search for language that leads or Kasia Bezowski, my name and surname, and there they can find the book or they can go to my website, centerforbodylanguage.com, and they can learn more about body language. Awesome. Kasia, it's been so fun talking with you today. Thank you so much for being here and thanks for sharing your expertise and your insight. Thank you for great questions. Well, that's another podcast. Cross off your listening to-do list. I hope that you enjoyed this conversation with Kasia Wazowski. Make sure to grab her book. You can find the link to that in the show notes or over at beyondthetodolist.com. That's also where you can sign up for my weekly newsletter. Drop your email in there. You'll find links to related episodes you may have missed, as well as a recap of the latest episode. My top three weekly finds that'll supercharge your productivity. It's the perfect companion to this podcast. And the bonus is, is you can hit reply to any of those emails and they will come straight to me and we can start a conversation. Thanks again for listening. I hope that you got something great out of this. If you did, would you consider sharing this episode with somebody? Hit that share button in your podcast player app of choice or again over on the website at beyondthetodolist.com. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for sharing. And I will see you next episode.